0: Welcome back to part two of episode eight of Our New World. We've been chatting with Phoebe Bernard. Phoebe is one of five co-authors of a recent report that gives us six recommended areas that we can get involved in to save our planet. In part one, she talks about energy, pollutants, and nature, and she was just getting on to veganism and vegetarianism. This episode, she's moving on to food systems, population, which has a big women's component to it, and the sustainable economy, which is one of those areas that I think we all feel a little bit helpless in. So she has some really interesting perspectives around that. Let's get straight into it, where she takes us into the fourth recommended area, food systems.
1: The number four on our list of six recommendations from the World Scientist's Warning of the Climate Emergency relates similarly to food systems. And this is probably one of the areas that's most under control of individuals at some level. And that's our personal choices of what to buy and what to eat. Um, But when we talk in the World Scientist Warning Paper about food systems, we're basically talking about two things. One is increasingly moving from an exploitative, degrading, intensive industrial agriculture to a more regenerative agriculture that pays attention to the quality of the soil, that pays attention to the health and well-being of animals, and that pays attention to the nutrition, uh, nutritional value of the food. So moving to regenerative agriculture is one part of it, and also moving to a more plant-based diet is a second one. Now, you know, people tend to have strong feelings about that one way or another. Not everybody feels that they, uh, you know, love plants as much as they love meat. I used to eat meat when I was a kid. I grew up in an omnivore family that that had meat at least four nights a week. And, And for a long time, I felt that I really loved it. But I did observe that as I ate less and less meat and more and more plants, substitutes and just had a rich and diverse healthy delicious diet that i lost my craving for meat I, I really did and it didn't take too long either um and i'm i when i was 13 i became a vegetarian for the first time and then for a, a while while i was married to a carnivore i i moved away from that for a while but when i when i return to vegetarianism, I actually became a mostly vegan. And by mostly vegan, I mean that I eat most of my meals as vegan meals. And then every so often, I might have an egg or some cheese or uh, a little bit of fish or something like that. And I really appreciate that. And I honor the animals that helped produce those things. And that usually satisfies any ephemeral craving that i might have so people that are feeling oh i'm not sure that i can eat more plant based it's it's pretty easy once you start realizing it initially i was a vegetarian because of earth and ecological system efficiency reasons and then i became more aware of the ethical travesties of our industrialized food production system. Mm. And so I was also a vegetarian for animal ethics reasons. And and finally, uh, I became much more profoundly aware of the health benefits of eating a much more plant-based diet. So really this is a win-win system for everybody. And I'm not encouraging everybody to become vegan and certainly not overnight, but it's a journey. It's been a really productive journey for me and my whole family. And I'm certainly not the strictest vegan in my family, Um, but even I I would regard myself as a vegetarian who's mostly vegan. (laughs) So investing in regenerative agriculture and in a shift to a much more plant-based diet has a profound effect on our climate emergency by significantly reducing the amount of land that is transformed for livestock production and that has enormous carbon consequences and mm-hmm. greenhouse gas including methane consequences
0: yeah can i just jump in as well there because i think um i i mean, i just think it might be worth me chipping in with my vegetarian experience because i'm not fully vegetarian but i used to eat so much meat with every single meal um, I think especially, you know, in the UK as a as a young man, you grow up and you think, right, I'm going to play rugby or, you know, do these things. And I want to eat a lot of meat. And, and it, I just want to reiterate what you said there about it just kind of taking a bit of time. You don't have to be forced into going fully vegetarian or fully vegan straight away, just taking it day by day and meal by meal. And even if you just cut down, you know a day a week, I think it does make a big difference. So that just really resonated with me because I didn't willingly do it. It just kind of happens naturally. And it is that association with meat that I think once you get rid of it, you become a lot less dependent on it.
1: And, and what you've said is really interesting to me because it highlights the kind of cultural expectations that we all bring into our lives. And it's worth being a little bit conscious about that. You know, just that, does that expectation, whatever it may be, does that actually suit me? Does it suit the planet? Does it suit my community? Um, I've been married to two Englishmen <laughs> for virtually all my adult life, and for 31 years I was married to an athletic ornithologist who felt that because he was an athlete, he needed me every day, mm. and. Uh, unfortunately for a while that kind of diluted my own natural inclinations and I cooked and ate more meat than I wanted to. It really is easy to start shedding it and even if people drop it one or two or three days a week it profoundly helps. But what is also helpful for those people that are finding it that they're feeling better in terms of their health and their um, knowing that they're having a better effect on the planet, just keep pushing a little bit. Mm. Every, every month, every year, you know, try to do a little bit more. And as long as you are feeling good, um, and as long as you can get the support of all your friends who are doing this, because this is a big wave of change, mm. particularly in Europe um, and, and in North America, I'm happy to say. And even in some parts of Africa and South America, where you know we think of cultures as being incredibly carnivorous. Um, you know, one of my Chilean colleagues is a vegan, and that's not easy to be a vegan in Chile, partly because of cultural expectations. So worth being aware of those. Yeah. So number five on our list of sex uh, recommendations is population. And this is probably one thing that at least in the Western world, where women have access to birth control, we probably have more control over this issue than almost any of the six. And the recommendation really is towards small families, having one fewer child. And at a system level, just trying to stabilize our global population from its exponential rate of increase. Now, people might be confused because in the West, we're hearing a lot right now in the media about declining birth rates. And, you know, it's true that many Western nations do have declining birth rates, but that is still the mathematics of it, still at the global level, are exponentially increasing the population of this planet. So we have to shift that curve in virtually all countries so that um, at the global level, we're we're not we're not hurtling to disaster as fast as we currently are, and I want to emphasize this. It's incredibly disastrous to have the exponential, unchecked population um, that we do have, regardless of the declining birth rates in some countries. Now, um, uh, this is also an area of cultural expectation. Many women are brought up to think that that is their role in life, to marry, have children, and then have grandchildren. Mm. Is this something that is serving women, uh, to have the, to have that cultural expectation so strongly in their lives that they sometimes have to battle their families to go get an education or to have a job, less so in this generation than, than in my generation, maybe. Uh, I was fortunate to have a family that believed in the education of all of its, you know members. but um, but but certainly in many countries, it's hard for women to say, "Well, actually, no, I'm not sure that I would be a good parent or I have a drive to become a doctor or whatever it may be. And so, you know, having, being open to those kinds of narratives is is very important and at the personal level, individual household level, this is one thing that we have a great deal of control about and as most women and most men I think understand, they can give their children or child a much better upbringing if there are not tons of them. (laughs) They can invest more in each child and that leads to better quality of life, better leadership, better educational outcomes, better IQ, all of these kinds of things. And in in developing countries, we feel that in the the, um, West, we feel that we know that (laughs) developing countries act in a certain way. Well, actually the reality in most developing countries is getting quite complicated. You know, uh, in every country, there is a move to the cities uh, there, there is inequality between rural and urban people. And many times what we think that, you know, African women need big families to help farm the fields or to look after them in their old age. In some cases that is still true, but it is profoundly and rapidly changing. And we need to speak in the knowledge of what women actually So I'll come to that in a second, because I know you want to ask me about Girl Planet. I do, yes. (laughs) But let me get just briefly to the sixth recommendation, which is also really, really, really important. And and I do want to say about population before I leave that, that having one fewer child is by far the single most impactful step that you can take as an individual on this planet to avert the worst of the climate emergency. The, the ecological footprint and the carbon footprint of each individual person is greater than virtually all the other steps you can think of combined. Driving an electric vehicle or not driving a vehicle at all, not taking uh, flights, um, eating vegan diets, and all of those things, they're all important, but they don't even all add up to the single biggest step of having one fewer child. So mm. that's the best thing people can do.
0: Not so but, interesting to emphasize that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it was a great study by Lund University in Sweden that people can be um, directed to if they want more information on that. Uh, but on the sustainable economy, I think most people listening to this podcast will already know well that we have been all inhabiting a really broken system of a linear consumerist economy that hauls raw materials out of the ground, processes them for people to use briefly and then throw away. And I I call that a predatory uh, economy. And it's been linear. Things go in one end and they get thrown out at the other end and it is is not only destroying the planet, but it's also really destroying our social fabric. So understanding how we can shift the economy to make it sustainable is really, really important. And people may think, well, that's the economy, it's way up there, it's too abstract, it's too big. There are a number of really, really important experiments around the world. And one of the best has started in the UK, the transition movement. Transition Towns Movement, um, where people can understand how to shift their local economy to a more circular economy where you reuse things, you recycle things, you barter and share things so that you don't have to go to a big um, multinational box store and buy something that will break in a a year or two Mm. and then throw it out. You can actually share tools. You can, um, you know, trade your agricultural produce for somebody's uh, back rub services or somebody's tax preparation services. There are all kinds of ways. So I would really encourage people to have a look at the Transition Network. It's uh, https://transitionnetwork.org, uh, and that is a fantastic set of inspiration about relocalizing our economy investing in our local communities to make them more cohesive more resilient to climate and other shocks to the system mm. and really just much more rewarding and satisfying than this quite alienating economy global economy that we have yeah so, I'm going
0: that to, um, that, so i'll put the link in the the description mm. as well so listeners, you can find it in the description i'm going to take that chance to plug another episode that we did with ashley colby number two that was very much on a very similar, similar concept. So that's brilliant that it's come up a couple of times more than that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Thank you for mentioning Ashley Colby's um, episode. I listened to it and was super inspired. She's was she great. Woman. She was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. OK, so let's talk about uh, why we uh focus on women in terms of population
0: yes so we'll do that and like you said i you've just recently soft launched or i don't know if you've hard launched it now but
1: no um, we've just soft launched yeah
0: a global platform focusing on the voices of women and girls so maybe after you talk about um women and population we can move on to the the platform that you've you've also launched
1: yeah well i think we can move on to that now so um i have recently decided to move uh to step a little bit outside my traditional career of science and public policy making for ecosystems, biodiversity and climate, and start working on uh, human population and consumption. In other words, the last two issues we've talked about in Mm. the sustainable economy and population. And focus on the voices of women and girls, because honestly, women and girls are half of humanity and they have been a half that has not been able to shape the way we run our families, the way we um, understand the purpose, of the meaning of life, and, and how we uh, develop an economy that really works for people and the planet. And so, um, I'm, I'm busy setting up an organization that doesn't yet even have a formal name, <laughs> but but uh, we have started with this project called Girl Planet Earth, which is which you know is basically one of the roots of this new organization. Mm. And uh, yeah, listeners can check it out: It's www.girlplanet.earth. And uh, the, the reason for this is to give a platform for women to talk about population, consumption, the health of our planet and personal choice. And they can either talk about that personally in terms of their own experience or professionally, if they happen to you know, have observations or experiences in, in their professional lives as well. Mm-hmm. But it's basically a global platform to help tell the stories of women and girls on the matter of these issues, population, uh, consumption, health of the planet and personal choice. So much of humanity has been so disempowered, so marginalized from the leadership tables of the world. And that has, I think, given us the kind of leadership of the past that's got us to this mess in the first place because women have not been heard and their, our values have not been adequately reflected in the societies that we've created. So you know what kind of leadership got us to this mess in the first place and, and what kind of leadership is needed to successfully get us into a better future, a wiser, more fair, more sustainable, more just uh, society. Mm. So we've put together this platform and just invited women from around the world, from as many countries, as many cultures, as many backgrounds, as many professional orientations as as uh, possible um, to to contribute their short stories and their photographs. So, you know, I would encourage people to check out this this website, because I personally find it still really exciting. Um, we've we've only got, I don't know, perhaps 40 something stories so far from around yeah. the world, but it's only a few weeks old. Yeah. And um, I feel that it's important for women to be heard on how to shift the population needle, how to shift the broken patterns of consumption and economy and pollution and um, and, and land use that have brought us to this mess yeah so Earth is a way to amplify these voices and help put women in contact with each other uh, to to go further and maybe max if i may i'd also like to mention one other incredibly lovely leadership program for women that i've Please. been involved with the homeward bound project in australia
0: the Homeward Bound Project. This is, this is perfect because this is exactly what we want people listening to. So again, I will share the link and I'll encourage this at the end. So please, yeah, Homeward Bound Project.
1: It's it's great. The premise of the Homeward Bound Project is that a large chunk of our sustainability crisis can be solved simply by bringing more women in science to the leadership tables of the yeah. world. They tend to be more collaborative more inclusive, more trustworthy with money and other assets, people and you know, capital, and more legacy-minded. We tend to make decisions for, for, for future generations, which is seldom the case with our current profit-oriented uh, global economy. So check that out. i would be happy to be part of that.
0: That would be brilliant. Also, just hearing you talk now, I didn't make the link necessarily when you first shared um, Gold Planet with me. But behind me, I've got a book by Mary Robinson called Climate Justice, which I've mentioned before on the podcast. And it is, well, I mean, you may well have read it, but Mm -hmm. it is, reminds me a little bit of what you're talking about. And for those of you listening who aren't quite ready to take on a book yet about it, Girl Planet sounds perfect because it sounds like a similar thing where basically amazing and every day, you know, every sort of woman is sharing these stories that are very inspiring. But also is and this this sounds almost bad that I have to mention it, but there are people who hear, okay, well, it's just a woman's issue, so I don't I shouldn't be listening to this. Not even like I can't I I won't bother to listen to this, but okay, I shouldn't listen to this because I shouldn't get involved because it's not about that the word you use there that I want to highlight is collaborative Is there are so many stories in that book and I'm sure on Girl Planet as well that are about just collaboration and listening and it's not a gendered issue it's just these amazing women who do work really well together they're passionate and they're doing something and that I think is really important is that it's just inviting and it really made me feel as a man kind of invited to get involved in these things.
1: They, and and that's the way it should be. And by talking about women's leadership, I think what I'm really um wanting to emphasize is that the kind of leadership that women do is the kind of leadership that many men also do, mm. but they have not been made to feel that those traits are respected by mm. other men. Absolutely. And so what I think we should be looking for is a is a values-based legacy-minded leadership in which men and women can participate. And already around the world with heads of state like Jacinda Ardern and the prime ministers of uh, Finland and Iceland and uh, the the Netherlands and uh, Scotland, all of these women leaders are really setting a good bar. And I think they're also creating space for men to understand the pressures, the cultural pressures that have been on all of us to adopt unthinkingly uh, the the values of this broken system that is letting us all down, it's not serving us. No. Oh, uh, I wanted to say one quick thing about Mary Robinson. Absolutely, Because Mary Robinson, uh, after she left her role in Ireland, she became part of the elders, the global group of wise elders that um, could influence the way leadership is done around the world. And uh, the Homeward Bound program also has uh, an elders program called the Busara Circle. Busara meaning um, wisdom in Swahili. And I've been asked to be one of the five women in that program, and uh, I, I've really been enjoying it. We gave a masterclass on, on leadership through a lens of difference over uh, at the beginning of this week, and it was lots of
0: that's brilliant just to to dwell on that because i feel like that's the sort of resource that we really want to plug here well for you know i say plug but i mean really emphasize really um is it something that women can look up and and get involved with just generally or do you have to be enrolled in a university are there sort of um criteria for being involved or can you just go on the website have a look at it and try and get involved and see what you can do
1: I, I want to encourage women who, who are keen on this stuff to create their own leadership circles. Some are open, like girlplanet.earth is open. Mm-hmm. Anybody who identifies as a woman or a teenage girl, an older teenage girl, I don't think you know. I want to extend that to 13-year-olds, but say 17, 18-year-olds, um, anyone is welcome to send me their stories at girlplanet.earth.earth. At gmail.com yeah. or via the website. But the Bussara Circle and the Homeward Bound program, that is an internal program for um, Homeward Bound members. And this program aims to develop a, a global network of 10,000 women in science at the leadership tables of the world yeah. over a 10 year period. And it's an incredible program. And so that is internal, but I would encourage women to understand, and and also I may say, men with similar mindsets about the planet and people and the values that have gone wrong in the past. This is the time to start talking leadership. We have seen such abysmal leadership, particularly in the last five years. Mm. And this is the time of human civilization where we can least afford bad leadership, we can least afford to make mistakes. So anyone who's feeling strongly about this, start up your own leadership group in your area, or your own network, faith community, a university, a school, uh, a neighborhood, whatever it might be, start the conversation about what society should be, and how to get there, and what kinds of leadership can take it forward. This should be, you know, a number of Thousands, hundreds of thousands of fires being lit across the planet in these times.
0: Yeah. Well, it's amazing that these things are coming up. because I think uh, I think they're so encouraging for a lot of young women. And do you think that there's a message that you would want to send to to young women and girls aside from essentially what you've just said, which is lighting fires everywhere? But is there a message that you want to send out?
1: I guess I'll summarize it. Um, Join together. Collaborate. Inspire each other and show humanity a better way at whatever scale works for you.
0: Love that. It's brilliant. <laughs> and I will ask the final question that we always ask on the podcast. If you could recommend one thing, just one thing for people to do that would move the dial for our planet, what would it be?
1: Without a doubt, have one fewer child or no children at all, but find children in your community and kind of adopt them, engage with them. If you feel that you want to have children but you're not sure that you want it to be a full-time job, this is a great strategy for you. You know, become a godparent or become uh, an auntie or an uncle in the neighborhood who can um, volunteer for kids' activities that can help create healthy kids. We want small families and one fewer child really to be uh, uppermost in people's minds as to the single step that they can take that can move the dial for the planet. If people have had children already, that's wonderful. That's great. I am in no way criticizing anybody who's had more than one or two children. My own mom had four. My husband's uh, mother was from a family of 11. So we all know what this is like. And Probably people have done an amazing job at raising their children, but invest in helping their grandchildren understand that there are different options for themselves, that they don't have to have um, lots of children. There can be other even child-free ways of giving their own lives meaning, including leadership, community service, collaboration, and if they do want kids, one less kid or adopting kids.
0: Phoebe, thank you very much for being on today.
1: You're most welcome.
0: Well, there you go. What an interesting person, what an inspiring person. There's so much to talk about in there. I think the things that stood out were the points about population, women's roles in climate change, and also about the leadership. I want to mention again, some of the resources, transitionnetwork.org, which is a site encouraging collaboration amongst communities goplanet.earth which is her new initiative helping women share their stories around climate issues and the homeward bound project which is a leadership initiative for women around the world I thought it was particularly interesting hearing her talk about the need for collaboration and the fact that she highlighted how bad leadership has been over the last few years and i think that's a message for everyone really men and women People who are growing up at the moment looking to get involved in leadership positions, thinking about what leadership looks like, how it can be different in the future and what our roles are in that.